So one of the ways you know that it's my turn to preach and not Reverend Ken's is that apparently something important happened in baseball last night. (laughs) But I don't know anything about that, so I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about yoga instead, right? Because that's what's on everyone's mind today. I said at the earlier service, if you like yoga and baseball, you are really in the right church. Good work. I don't actually know very much about yoga. We have yoga teachers here in our congregation who I'm sure know a lot more than I do. But I've gotten curious about it over the last 10, 15 years as it seemed like everyone else got pretty curious about yoga. And I was hesitant at first to try it out because fitness and I have not always gotten along. And athletics and I have not always gotten along. I've always liked climbing trees, doing cartwheels. I've been that kind of kid and person my whole life. But running on a treadmill is not how I want to spend my time. God bless you if it's how you want to spend your time. You're probably in better shape than I am. I was curious, though, because everyone talked about yoga like it was different. And I tried some yoga classes over the years. I tried one in college. I tried a few in the different cities I'd lived in. And I got a little bit of different stuff, but I think part of the issue was that I went to a lot of what yoga classes tend to be, which is yoga for fitness, yoga for weight loss, hot, supercharged power yoga that makes you want to throw up by the end of the time that you're there, right? And maybe two years ago, someone said, why don't you try this thing I've heard of called restorative yoga? Now, if you've taken a restorative yoga class before, you know that it's kind of a unique thing. It's an unusual practice. It's the kind of practice that doesn't at all indulge or weaken your body, but it also doesn't punish it. It doesn't take anything or extract anything from it. When I took my first ever restorative class, I had a very different experience with my body than I'd ever probably had before in a fitness-oriented kind of place. You may have seen this quote online. It gets shared a lot. It's from the poet Nayira Wahid. It says, And I said to my body softly, I want to be your friend. And it took a long breath and replied, I have been waiting for this my whole life. That was how I felt after I took my first restorative class. Because in a restorative yoga class, you might get into a pose maybe that looks like this. right? That just kind of looks like sitting in a really complicated way (laughs) with a lot of blocks and bolsters and props and blankets and all kinds of stuff around you. All of that stuff is designed to support you, to let you stay in a place that you don't usually go for a long period of time. In restorative yoga, you get into a posture that's maybe just at the edge of your comfort level, right where your body is going outside of its normal everyday range of motion. And then you stay there for five or six or eight or ten minutes. And that, my friends, is a trip. If you are someone who's not sure you like sitting meditation, try doing sitting meditation in a weird pose 
for 10 minutes because what comes up is not just that layer of chatter in your head that you might be familiar with if you've ever tried to meditate, right? What do I have to buy at the grocery store? What's coming up this week? Who am I stressed out about interacting with in the next couple of hours? Also, with this practice, ow, my leg, ow, my leg, ow, my back. Now, it's not supposed to hurt. You're not supposed to go beyond or to strain too much. But as the Yoga Journal article on restorative yoga for beginners says, in restorative, the distance between heaven and hell can be as little as a half an inch. It really can be. Some of the hell can be physical pain, right? If you have positioned yourself so that you have strained too far. But there's also that hell of seeing clearly what's happening. In our heads, our hearts, our bodies. You might get into a position that you never get in, and then you're staying there for 10 minutes, and you notice, I carry tension in my shoulders that has apparently been here since birth, and I've never noticed it before. Or you might notice the storylines you tell yourself that are not so kind. Shouldn't be in this stupid baby yoga class. All the real yoga practitioners are in the hot, supercharged fitness yoga next door. I wonder how I look right now. Is anyone looking at me? Teacher watching? Am I doing this right? The hope of a restorative yoga practice, just like any contemplative kind of practice, is that by sitting long enough and seeing all of these things come up for us, we get to see them arise and go. And arise and go. We know that we will never be rid of them, We also know that we don't have to attach to them and hold on to them. When we do that, suddenly some of that clutter actually starts to fall away. And we can just be okay with wherever it is that we are, just for a moment, which is the first step to getting anywhere in the first place. When we began this Renew series in early September here at Wellsprings, Reverend Ken asked us to consider a question. What is being renewed in your life right now? And I had, at the same time, like 17 answers and zero answers. There's a lot of new stuff happening in my life. There are a lot of circumstances in my life that are new. I have a new role here at Wellsprings as your executive minister. That role changes how I relate to almost all of you in different ways. I'm having new kinds of interactions and experiencing new habits here all of the time. We have a new staff person in Youth Spirit with Lauren. I have a very new feature in my life, which is that I don't work two jobs anymore. Uh, Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, because you all made that possible. I was working 60, 70 hour a week, uh, weeks sometimes, to make sure that I could pay my rent, because you all wonderfully brought me on as an intern, and we all know how much interns make, right? And I've been able to stay here, and it is um, a wonderful, it's a gift beyond words that I can express to be able to focus on this. But for three years, I wasn't able to do that. And it turns out, that when I uncovered what some of that clutter of busyness had been hiding in my life, when I let go of that other thing and took a good look and stayed in what's here right now, I saw that a lot of areas of my life had not been getting a lot of attention, as you might expect. My heart, my friendships, my body, my home, 
had all kind of taken second shift to the fact that I needed to work and pay my rent. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. Maybe you have. Maybe retirement brings something like that on for you. Leaving a job, losing a job, shifting what you do at your job. Maybe the loss of an important relationship in your life, a primary relationship. When it comes to an end, you see, oh, look at that over there. I haven't been paying any attention to that. Maybe when a kid goes off to college for the first time or off to kindergarten for the first time. We look around and we realize for perhaps the first time in a while that we've got some messes in our lives and we can't really avoid it anymore. Here we are. I struggled at first with this renewal question that Reverend Ken asked because I didn't really want to look very honestly at the mess and I actually thought in writing up those little renewal bubbles that will be up again in about two weeks, I was like, well, I have like 17 options. I'll just write one of those down. But I didn't do that. I wrote that I wanted to renew my connection with my heart, which was a much uh, harder thing and more vulnerable thing to write. But it was the answer to what's being renewed in your life. What's being renewed in your life can get dangerously close to what is broken in your life, what is anemic, what is undernourished, It can get dangerously close to what do you need to work on, which doesn't feel like renewal so much. It feels a little bit more like fitness, right? (laughs) feels tiring. The prefix at the beginning of that word, re, just two little letters, R-E, in Latin it means two things. It means back and against. It also means again and anew and once more. It holds all of that paradox. It holds all of that space where we don't sometimes want to say, do I have to look at what's broken, right? Can't I just skip ahead to the new and good and renewed and hopeful part? But it's all in there. If you think about it, every word with a re in front of it works that way. Renew, restore, recall, regenerate, recover, reacclimate, right? If the death and the breakdown and the loss of something is implied, reassemble. If you're reassembling something, it fell apart at some point. It's almost like the mess is silent in the word. When we renew, we're acknowledging that something is here and it's a little bit busted up. But at the same time, we're saying that this renewal holds some not-quite-here-yet dream for our future both there at the same time. And I know that when I thought about this, I I found that my head and my heart were getting into a little bit of a fight. And I think our heads and our hearts have arguments about renewal all the time. Our hearts want one thing. Maybe some of you have seen the cartoon Awkward Yeti online. This is one of the stills from that cartoon. It's uh, about a Yeti who's awkward. And one of the things that happens in the cartoon is we see his internal organs interacting with each other. So this is the heart pointing accusatorily his finger at the head saying, hey you, be better at stuff this instant. And the head says, it doesn't work like that. Our hearts long for something. 
but our heads knows that we can't our head knows that we can't skip ahead the mess is part and parcel of the renewal but we get so mad at ourselves we get so angry at ourselves because we love each other we want something for ourselves and our lives and the people we care about and we get so angry for not just being able to move forward even though all this re stuff doesn't work like that think about the word revolve for example what do i think of when i hear that word i think about the planets right the solar system if i'm standing here and there's something revolving around me i don't really know what direction it's going i might see it move towards me away from me forward backward but all that is just because of where i am I'll give you an example. Do you know what this is? It's an earth rise. Right? If we lived on the moon and we saw the earth come up over the horizon and then pass over our heads and fall down, we might think that the earth revolved around us on the moon. That's why we used to think that the sun revolved around the earth way back when. But when we have clear seeing, we have the benefit of actually knowing what's really going on not just our perspective and i think we only get to clear seeing when we let our heads and our hearts work together they both need to be involved in the project our heads as a human community right figured out how to make this picture possible we needed our heads to get to the moon but our hearts probably the ones that looked up at a shining gorgeous full moon like we had a couple days ago one night and said I want to get closer to you. I want to know more about you. This beautiful orb in the sky that has no apparent purpose. That's the longing of the heart. And that is the beauty of what can happen when the head and the heart actually work together. They can be a pretty unstoppable team. There are these new ideas when I say new it's kind of relatively speaking are about 40 years old in sort of the academic community around agriculture and landscaping and environmentalism. You might have heard the word permaculture, word permaculture, regenerative design. There are all of these different principles that scientists and civil engineers and environmentalists are all kind of engaged with in thinking about how to solve the climate crisis, right? How to deal with the fact that there are so many of us and we need so much from this earth. And yet we know that the earth is its own organism that can only do so much. And what all of the scientists are finding is spoiler alert, the earth actually knows what it's doing and we should probably just pay attention to what it's doing to be able to live sustainably. Biomimicry is it turns out a great way to do anything. When you're designing something and you're talking about growing food or getting resources from the planet, the best thing to do is just design the stuff as close as possible to the way the world already works. And then we'll all be better off. Sustainability means something slightly different, right? Sustainability is all like work-life balance kind of language, right? As long as you don't take out more than you put in, you'll be okay. and that would be a win right probably for us and many of our lives and for our planet but is there something even deeper possible 
That's what these scientists are pointing at. Is it possible for us to actually relate to the earth in a way that creates new stuff, that regenerates naturally, that restores us? The trick is it may not look exactly like what we want to get out of it because it's cooperative. It's really hard to get people to wrap their minds around that on a large scale because we are so used to relating to the earth in an extractive way, not in a regenerative one, in thinking about what needs need to be met and taking what we can to meet those needs. And so all we can see from our current vantage point is that maybe the best we could do is sustainability, just not taking more out than we put in, and that would be fantastic if we could get there. But is it possible for us to put our heads together with our hearts here and to actually have a regenerative relationship instead of an extractive one? I'm not that into environmental stuff. So I actually heard about this idea for the first time when a writer and community organizer in the UK named Nicole Vosper wrote an article about this same principle but applied it to human relationships. She said, what if we took this idea of extractive and regenerative relationships and turned it towards human behaviors in organizations, relationships, nations, groups of people of any kind? And boy, I will tell you, when I read over the list of extractive behaviors, they all show up on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. They all show up in our current political climate. Here's some of the things that she lists as extractive habits. Harmful behavior, either one-to-one or in groups, including lying, cheating, betrayal, backstabbing, and gossiping. Poor listening, or not listening to each other at all. Feeling unsupported, abandoned, invisible, or undervalued in a group of people, or a movement of people. Information overwhelm. When communication mediums are abused and you are totally overwhelmed with constant, unwieldy information to process. Abusive behavior. And also responding to abusive behavior and supporting other people who are experiencing it. Contesting, dominating people in groups. Let the record show I've named no political candidates while reading this list. But we don't just see this in our political climate. We also see these things in our cultural climate. Listen to these. The physical challenges of work are extractive. Late nights, traveling, lack of sleep, a lot of computer time. The cultural habits of overwork and workaholism are extractive, using work not to deal with underlying emotional issues in our lives. Emotionally laboring and caring for everyone in our lives in an unsustainable way is extractive. Loss of support or friends or identity if you decide to take a step down or a step back from what you had been doing. Lack of connection to the purpose or the why when you're so busy that you forget why you're doing this in the first place. Now, of course, there are a lot of smart reasons that we often feel we have to engage in these kinds of behaviors. But does our heart call us to something different? 
can we let our heads and our hearts work together on some of this stuff? Nicole Vosper brainstorms this very extensive list of extractive ways that we relate to each other, and then she gives us another kind of list, a list of regenerative ways of being that might produce something we don't even expect. Things like having incredible, deep friendships, experiencing a sense of affinity with maybe people you don't even know that well, building a sense of trust and belonging and mutual aid over time, meeting new people and being inspired by them, meeting people from totally different backgrounds and places and just learning from and about them, having the opportunity to pick up a new skill, and then that feeling of flow when you're really, really good at something and you know you're kicking ass at it. She does say kicking ass. Having your needs met. Any kind of need. Being emotionally and practically supported to heal from any trauma you've experienced, to recover from burnout, to cope in a crisis. Having a liberating structure and boundaries and a sense of clarity about what it is that you should do and what you're doing and why. And having those boundaries respected by other people. Feeling like people have your back. Having the time and the space to cultivate and express different sides of yourself. And having friends and coworkers and family members who say, you're doing an amazing job, but we also love you for who you are, not just what you do. More of this stuff, right? And we want it to be like the heart says. Be better at this stuff this instant. And we get discouraged because we know that that's not possible. But does it mean that it's not worth trying? I want to close with a story that actually happened this morning. Thank you, universe. Because... I thought about this story after seeing something on Facebook that actually a Wellsprings member had shared. An invitation to an event, Wednesday, November 9th, National Refriending Day. Yeah, the day after the election. Go find all those people that you maybe muted their, for their news feeds or you disconnected from them in some way or you've maybe in person been avoiding certain discussions, and it actually says, you know, if you're on Facebook, it's like, go post a cat video on their, on their profile. <laughs> Connect with them in some way. And I will admit that when I saw this National Refriending Day thing for November 9th, my head had a hard time wrapping its mind around that one. Because how will they learn, right? <laughs> That's the uncharitable thought that I have. Don't pretend none of you haven't had it. But my heart was like, duh, Lee. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle with the two of them working together. This morning, I went to get my coffee at the coffee shop in South Philadelphia where I go almost every morning. Stormy was working. She's there on Sunday morning. She's tall, a couple years younger than me, black woman, skinny, beautiful. And I ordered my latte from her. And we became aware as we were having our morning conversation that there were only two other people in the cafe, and we could hear every word of their conversation. And they were two older South Philly guys, 
probably a couple decades on both me and Stormy, each of them, sitting down, having their black coffee. If you've never heard a South Philly accent, just imagine like a Brooklyn accent, but take it down a few notches in your ability to understand what they're saying. Um, (laughs) Chew every word like it's gum. I love it. I love South Philly. And I heard that they were talking about politics. And I had a certain expectation in my mind of where this conversation was headed, knowing that they were two older South Philly guys, and they were talking about Trump. And the one closer to me said, yeah, you know, now I hear, after all this stuff with Trump and all these women, there's some other woman that came out. Did you hear about this just the other day? And she is like a stripper or prostitute or something. Stormy and I caught each other's eyes. We both kind of took a deep breath, honestly. We didn't say anything. I think we were preparing for a little bit of extractive, hard-to-listen-to conversation. You know what the other guy said? This guy had just said, right, you know, this other woman accused me. I think she's a prostitute or a stripper. And the other guy said, well, yeah, but, I mean, that doesn't matter, right? Not what I expected, old South Philly guy. Shame on me. And then he said, you know, one way or another, you know, what she does doesn't matter. Though on the other hand, I'm not sure how I feel about somebody who wants to be president hanging out with people like that. So dial it back from the dream conversation I would have had them have in my head, right? Not exactly how I would have responded to this moment. But it became clear as we listened to them that one of them was going to be voting for Trump and one of them wasn't. They didn't need a national refunding day, it turns out. They were just talking about it. Not arguing, not fighting. Just spending time, having their coffee at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, discussing what they thought. Who would have thought I would feel like those were two American heroes on some level, right? Because it's hard to do that. It's hard to maintain relationship with people when we have strong feelings about these things and when we want what we want out of the experience. So yes, I will post on Facebook the invite to National Refunding Day. If you all want to join, feel free. Just like the poet said to her body, I want to be your friend. When we are fighting with our bodies, with each other, it can be hard to imagine that that is possible. But maybe it is. We can all practice in little ways these regenerative ways of relating to each other. In all of our different relationships, our workplaces, our friendships with our kids, at our church, without needing it to be better all right now at this instant. But maybe trusting that it really could slowly regenerate all all of our lives over time. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I invite you to pray with me. Spirit of a sunny fall morning, God of our hearts, deepest yearnings, and best understandings, We are grateful that there are many of us. I am grateful that we are so different. 
I ask that we all remember and that I remember that when we believe those beautiful things are true, which I do believe, that we are all born beloved, that each of us matters and deserves to be here, that we remember in those moments when we feel that beautiful presence, that spark of the biggest things we can imagine in our own hearts and our own lives, that we remember that everyone else has those too. And that you continue to call us towards that. Because that is our only hope. For these prayers I've spoken out loud and for the prayers that each one of these people carries silently on their hearts. We say amen.